We are in the second week of a series entitled Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader. And uh, we're going to look at, um, over four weeks, truths that are important um, to process, to think about, to claim, to own, as we simply seek to follow the leader, to be a follower of Jesus. And... Uh, Savior, forgiver of sins, Lord, leader in life. And what that means, last week we looked at a truth out of Mark 2 about taking new paths. And it's one thing that's true. If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to take you to places that you've never been before. Maybe some places you don't want to go to. It's not about always doing what we've always done. But looking, seeing, calling out, following, going where God is, that stretches us, sometimes drags us, but taking new paths, really important. And this week, we're going to look at a truth about walking the walk. And you notice, maybe I didn't say walking the talk, right? An intentional twist. Because I believe that Scripture teaches us it's not about walking as we would speak in terms of who we are um, saying that we are or that we maybe even would want to be, but it's genuinely walking the walk. That's what we do. We understand and know what it is that God is laying before us and the walk that he calls us to and we're moving forward step by step in that walk. There's a a tremendous truth that we're going to be looking at just in a few minutes about that, but I, I want to ask you, if this is not true, can we be honest about this? Is that not hard to do? To walk the walk? I I think it is. You've got um, culture that redefines values and morals each and every day. And not only redefining them, but, but calling and speaking into your life, not even doing that, shouting and demanding about what's, what's, what's right and what's wrong according to culture and society. And, it, and it's far off, I submit to you, from what it means to walk the walk. So voices speaking, people telling you. And of course, then there's Satan, right? Trying to discredit, derail, destroy, debunk anything good that's Christ-like in your life. Uh, Tempting you, getting you to fall and to fail. Sneering, laying on the guilt. It's hard. And you're thinking, thanks for all the encouragement, Pastor. We're so thankful for that. It is hard, but I have a question for you. Just one. Well, maybe more later, but one right now. Do you know Jesus? Not here, but here. So I would submit to you that if you know Jesus here, You've got all you need 
to walk the walk. If you know Jesus, you know that he goes before you and behind you and with you. He's got your back, he's got your front, he's got your present tense. And he will fight the fight for you. He'll be your shield, he'll be your strength. And he'll care for you and he'll protect you and he'll help you every step of the way. He doesn't promise it'll be easy. But he promises that if you seek him and you walk with him and you, you, presence, being, he will be your God. And if you know Jesus, you know the battle, the war has already been won. The victory is yours to claim. Is it hard walking the walk? Sure. But if you know Jesus, you'll know you have everything that you need. I want to share with you a passage out of Mark 7. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16. I think that's two more than what's in the um, bulletin, so I hope you can hang on for two more verses. It's a great truth. Jesus was always being challenged about his walk with God. And he is in this passage. He has asked you to open up your hearts and listen to what it is that he's going to say to you personally. Don't, don't worry so much about the other people, just about what he's going to say to you personally about walking the walk. Now hear the living and powerful word of God. Mark 7, verses 1 to 16. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw his disciples eating food with hands that were uncleaned, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremony of washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the Jesus of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, just as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you will no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can make them unclean by going into them. 
Rather, it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. He sees the word of God might be written in our hearts and lived in our lives. Hmm. When you you read a passage um, of Scripture, do you take the time to ask a question that I'm going to submit to you is is really helpful in understanding the truth in it? And, And that question is this, what is really going on here? So you you can look at this passage, and and I hope you ask yourself that question. What's what's really going on here? Because Jesus is is charged with something he answers. But what what is this really all about? Well, there's some clues. Um, There's some things that that are in the passage that are really significant to think about. And I I think hopefully um, give a little bit of a, if we can't figure out the truth, we'll reveal it, but then also give it some deeper impact. Context. So one of the things is, do you know where where Jesus is at? Now, I didn't read that, so I'm going to give you a pass on this one. If you look at chapter 6, verses 53 to 56, you'd see that he is in the region of Gesenaret. You know where that is, right? So that's um, south of the Sea of Galilee. So this is not Michigan. Here, I'll put my finger in here. So Sea of Galilee, Gesenaret is like right here. Okay, and so put it in, in terms of um, what's in that region. I went to classes on Tuesday to Mottersville. We're getting close, all right? They're not a whole lot over there. No denigration to Mottervillians or whatever it's called, but um, it, it, it's a very uh, not real inhabited area. But yet people are coming out of the, the, the woodwork, so to speak, to hear Jesus talk out in the middle of nowhere. And that's important because what do you read in verse 1? Some of the Pharisees were there, right? Not, not really a, a terribly earth-shaking thing. But did you catch where they came from? Jerusalem. R- right there, verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem. See you, Galilee, Gesenaret. I need another hand. Jerusalem, down here. Depending on exactly where Jesus was, 70 to 80 miles away. You're thinking, no problem, they hopped in a car. No, they didn't. It's about a two-day journey to get from Jerusalem to the region of Gethsemane where Jesus was. Why? Jesus knew why. You probably do too. Jesus knew. See, um, they had heard there was a disturbance in the force. That somebody was working and doing good things for the kingdom of God, this bothered them. Try to figure that one out. Because they were the sole proprietors of what is right and good as Pharisees. They had a lot of of power and authority. And and they didn't want to lose it, even from the get-go. 
And so they hear something is going on. They want to go figure it out. They want to have that control and power, keep people under their thumb. And, and whatever is going on, they're going to discredit, debunk, stop out, and be done. So they head on up there. And I just picture them getting there, and, and when they get there, they, they see Jesus, and they start, like, looking and watching, right? I just picture them with little scribe booklets, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, watching any and every action. And then finally, it's a, aha, we got them. See, this is an attack on his religiosity, so to speak. And and what is it that they say they got him on? A ceremonial washing of the hands. And and it's bad because he didn't even do the pots and the pans. That's a whole other set of circumstances. So I don't know what ceremonial washing of the hands is. Maybe it's 30 times this way, 30 times this way, and 40 this way and this way. But I don't want you to get grossed out about Jesus eating food with dirty hands, all right? There's a difference between washing your hands and washing your hands ceremonially. And Jesus doesn't do it according to their law and their tradition. So there's an accusation and a charge. You are being unclean. Well, they don't say it that way. Verse 5. The Pharisees and teachers of the law say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their, uh, eating their food with unclean hands? Even the question, see how it's asked? Have you ever had that happen? Somebody is talking um, about you, but they speak with another pronoun? Jesus knows this is about him. And that they're saying, you are being unclean. There's a lot to take away from that. One of the things that just a little kind of like sidebar, but really is important about truth. I I want to submit to you that if you are striving to follow Jesus Christ in your life, you are being watched. You realize that, right? If you profess at all to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are being watched, and I would submit to you, watched closely. There are people with little notepads, even if it's mentally, and they're taking notes about what it is that you do and who it is that you're being. Waiting for an opportunity to swoop in and to let you know when you mess up. Have you experienced that? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. That's been my uh, unfortunate privilege numerous times. Because we all know, right, pastors are supposed to be perfect. I can speak from experience, they're not. They make the charge and the accusation, but this isn't about dirty hands. This is about something way different. 
It's about them being right and Jesus being wrong. It's about them having control, power, and authority and dictating the rules rather than Jesus Christ. And this is not about God's work. Jesus seizes the moment. The accusation and the charge comes. It's there in verse 6. And by, and if, if that happens, I do want to say this. Um, if indeed, you know, people are watching you closely and they come up and they share something about who you're, uh, who you're being because of something that you're doing and it's true, you know you have one option at that moment, right? It's to be a person of integrity. To not try to weasel your way out of anything, to say whatever, but to fess up and say, yeah, it's called confession. And you're just honest with people. You ask for forgiveness in the moment, hopefully to them or whomever it's applicable to, and then certainly to God. It's called integrity. great definition. I know I've shared it with you before. Integrity. Doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it. The reality is we all have integrity gaps, right? We all fall short sometimes. So sometimes when the charges and the accusations come, we, we, we be honest about it. That's important to state. But oftentimes, they are not. There are unjust claims. Because there are people, again, and, and, and I, I can't share this. It's, the values and the morals of the world and culture are vastly different than what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so there are people who are going to come and say, you're not living according to our rules. You're not doing what we believe is important, and you're not being who we think you should be. I could give you a million examples of that right now. But I want you to, to look at how Jesus responds. This is so important. I would submit to you, especially right now in the world in which we live in. Does Jesus, so does he back down? Does he cower in fear? Does he say, oh, man, this is not a bad no. He, he answers boldly and bluntly, and he calls them out. This is so important for us to think about, because there are going to be those charges again if you're following Jesus Christ. People are going to come at you. Again, false claims, et cetera, et cetera, say things about you that aren't true. In that moment, you need to be strong, and you need to be strong in Jesus Christ. Salt and light. There's nothing wrong with being firm and being honest about truth. Somehow we've, we've come to believe that that's not so. And we can't speak out, and we can't be strong as followers of Jesus. Follow the leader. I love what he says. He, he says it right there, the first thing he says. 
Isaiah was right when he prophesies about you hypocrites. That's pretty bold. That's nothing compared to Matthew 23. He rails on them. Whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, nice and wonderful in your flowing robes, but inside you're full of deadness. He just calls them hypocrites here. Being bold, not functioning. I think that's the the truth, right? Why sometimes there's this caving in and this capitulation to unjust and false charges without, without saying a word about it. I'm just trying to be honest. Fear, intimidation. Jesus had an occasion to do that, right? You know, you know who the Pharisees were? They had power and authority. Real power and authority. They could have arrested him on the spot, thrown him in jail, all kinds of different things, had him killed. They did that later. He doesn't back down. And so often throughout the Gospels, he functions full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, God's love. I read this passage out of Mark because Mark is blunt. Doesn't pull any punches, the Gospel of Mark, straight and to the point. And he speaks about their hypocrisy. He addresses the charge. This is about really about religion, right? This is really about being clean and unclean. Well, let me share something with you. You know the fifth commandment, right? He speaks about it in verse 10. Honor your father and mother. Great commandment to pick. And this isn't, don't, by the way, if you know the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, this isn't about like sassin. That's not what that commandment, it's, it's there in that commandment. It's not just about sassin or, or, or not listening to your parents or disobeying them. It, it goes way past it the other way. What does it mean to honor? Well, one of the words is respect. Uh, caring for loving, all of those things in all kinds of wonderful, powerful ways. So so honoring your father and mother, it's big, like that. And and then he says, you you know that, but you have set aside, I love it, set aside, verse 8, the commands of God, because they are practicing something called Corbin. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's there in verse 11. But a person says to their father and mother, whatever you might uh, help, you might have otherwise received from me is Corban. And then you see in parentheses, if it's, you're looking at Scripture there, um, that is a gift devoted to God. And what Corban was is it was an opportunity for them to dedicate something to God. And so devote it, dedicate it, basically uh, give it in essence to God. This is God's, they, they took oaths, made promises so, for instance, if, if they were um, somebody who farmed and they had a piece of land and they said, this is Corbin, then anything that happened with that property, and they, they could say, this is Corbin, um, I, I promise any kinds of um, income that's derived off this piece of property goes to 
God specifically for him. They did that with loans. So interest, this loan is Corbin, and so the interest goes to God. They could set up dates and times, et cetera, et cetera, uh, an investment, anything like that. So they would promise on oath to give that to God. One small problem. The reason that they were doing it is so that they didn't have to sell it to take care of their parents. It was a spiritual loophole. It was about selfish and personal gain. They didn't want to give up that piece of property or that loan because they could keep it then. And if their parents were deceased before the loan ran out or whatever, it would still be theirs. They would put time frames on it, et cetera, et cetera, work the system, whatever you want to call it. Um, That way they kept the law, but they didn't do it with God's spirit. And he calls them out on it. Question. What's your Corbin? Where is it maybe that um, you found some wiggle room? Hypocrisy. When, when I was in um, youth ministry, I was... was driving um, one morning to church and um, cars are streaming into the parking lot and there on the outside of the the, um, parking lot on the street is a woman holding a baby with her hood up and there's smoke and steam coming out of the the hood. And and I was really struck. People pouring into the parking lot not stopping to help her because they needed to be at church at a certain time. Maybe it's coming to church and coming because it's the right thing to do. You're checking a list. You're obeying parents or somebody else making the wife or the husband happy. But you have no passion, no desire to worship God, no intent. See, we we have, um, before we just go, yeah, yeah, Jesus unloaded on them. Um, Think about your own. That's why that's there for us to think about and personalize. What does that mean for me? What is God saying in that moment as he speaks to them that he's speaking to me? If you have those conversations with God, you know he can be really blunt. And then there's this incredible challenge that he gives at the end. He he calls them out through transparency, but then he says this, a challenge that's there for us as followers of Jesus Christ to walk the walk with a clean heart. He says this. I'll, I'll read the words again, verses 14 to 16. Jesus called to the crowd and said to him, Listen to me, everyone. Listen to what he's got to say. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can make them unclean by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person 
that makes them unclean. It is about the heart following Jesus, walking the walk. It's the internal versus the external. It's about being rather than doing. See, you can take, is this not true? If you've done something wrong, you, you can take water and you could scrub yourself raw. Would it ever change what's inside? No. No, it won't. You can tell people you're sorry a hundred billion times, but if it's not authentic and true and you're not being honest and genuine, it won't matter. We have, have believed at some point in time to this, this silly, ridiculous, um, I don't even know what to call it, reality that, that culture has spun about being able to compartmentalize our lives. As if we can split ourselves into pieces. Dichotomy. We can be one person over here and one person over there, and it's okay. And again, now, so eating out, you, you might eat differently or, or do something differently if you're in a, in a fine restaurant versus eating at home. I'm not talking about just normal customary things, but about the heart. See, when you're eating out, you, you still have the same person inside than you are if you're eating at home, right? What changed? There's something that I, I learned that I want to share with you, and it has to do with this truth We live, we live, we have three spheres in our life. Hopefully you can see these. I'll try to turn them. So big, you know, circles. One is, can't even spell it. And you can't read my writing, so I'll just say it. The public life. And this really is who we are at church or in large gatherings, or when we're walking down the road at school, at work. And this is who people see when, when we're out in public. And we act a certain way, and we be a certain way in our public life. And, and then there's a life, another sphere of life that's very real and true for us. That is our private life. And so we're out in public and we act a certain way and we do certain things and we be a certain person. And then in our private life, sometimes there's some discrepancies. This is who we are when we're in our homes. When there's just um, our, our family, our children, our kids, or when we're with just a small group of our friends, et cetera, et cetera. So private life, the things that not everybody sees but some people see. And then there's this sphere of our life. The secret sphere. And so you could say the public self, the private self, and the secret self. And this is who we are when no one's looking. Or maybe um, who we are with just one or two people, our very closest friends. So I want to ask you a question as you think about this, because it has everything to do with the truth about being clean and unclean and walking the walk. When you look at those three spears, those three yous, is there any difference? 
here. That's what Jesus is talking about. Being an authentic and real person, real follower of Jesus, no matter where you're at. That you're one and the same. That you're walking with him in his presence. And you do it with a clean heart. It's a great challenge. Because it's all about what's in here, not what other people can see. Even it is what you do. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if we're going to walk the walk, this is a tremendous challenge. That's what Jesus is submitting to us as truth this morning. Is it hard? Yes. But I would say this, if there's a will, if that's really what you have in your heart, there is a way, and his name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. We just need to open up our hearts and let him be who he promises to be in them. I'm thinking right now of um, 1 John 1, 9. Do you know it? If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to close this truth out by giving you an opportunity to do that. Uh, good timing. Um, Spirit-led, not necessarily intentional. We have communion next Sunday. I want to give you a moment right now Maybe you need to look at these. Maybe you just need to look at this. Maybe you just need to think about who you are and who you're being. Spend a minute with God. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm not going to ask you to, to come up here or to... Shout into a microphone. I just want you to confess what you need to confess before the great Lord our God. And then I'll close this in prayer. So let's spend some time with the Lord. Lord God, your mercy flows deep and as wide as your grace. And Lord, this morning I hope that through your word, for your honor and glory, you've spoken to each one of us or recognize what it means to be, what it means to follow, what it means to walk the walk what it means to be clean and unclean. And Lord, I, I, we have an understanding of both in our heart, but 
You desire only one. Lord, I hope that's our desire. As individual followers of Jesus and together as a body, we'd strive, O Lord, to be clean. To not look for spiritual loopholes, but Lord, to walk the walk and to be. So that when charges come, they will be unjust. We'll be able to address them with fear and with boldness, or without fear and with boldness, Lord God. So fill our hearts to overflowing with your presence. Help us to seek you and to walk with you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.